John chapter 2 will be in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, which is 25. 12 to 25. We're going to read it first, make some comments, and then begin our time. Well, we're going to pray, then begin our time. So as you guys remember, last week we learned about Jesus turning water into wine. It doesn't matter what your circumstance, but our deficiencies are opportunities to see God's sufficiency. In other words, our lack, what we don't have, is an opportunity, a chance to see God's power in our life. When you have a gap, God can fill it. You have a need, God can fill it. And so that's what he did. He turned their mourning to joy. The water changed into wine. And today, we're going to learn about Jesus mentioning some things and directing their eyes to God. Verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Interesting to note that it doesn't say the Passover of the Lord. It says Passover of the Jews. And some might say, perhaps this is a time in which it's becoming more ritualistic. The Passover wasn't just the Passover of the Lord, but it became the thing that they just did. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 14. And he found at the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, not doves chocolate, but sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Stop right there for a second. Just to give you an idea of what this is and what this looks like. Um, you had the outer court where the Gentiles could worship. Because the Gentiles weren't allowed to enter into the temple, but they could be in the outer court if they wanted to convert, they could perform those sacrifices out there. And so you would have these money changers out there that made it very convenient. Because if you're about to travel all the way to Jerusalem to the temple, it's not very convenient for you to bring your own oxen or doves or whatever you're, you're bringing to sacrifice. And so God in his law and provision allowed you, if you couldn't afford uh, some of these things, you can afford an ox or a sheep, you could actually just uh, sacrifice a dove. So it's all about sacrificing what you do have, not what you don't have, because God made provisions in the law for that. So he even had a provision for the Gentiles to come, and, and so what would happen is they made it convenient by allowing um, the Gentiles to just buy the sacrifices right there at the temple. So this isn't even a necessarily a bad thing, but what we're going to see is very interesting after we pray. But let's continue on first. Verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you, do you show to us since you do these things? So basically the Jews are, are very angry and they're kind of upset. Why are you driving all the people out of the temple? This is a good thing. And they're challenging him by asking his authority. If you really are God, let's see you do some magic tricks. If you are really sent from God, why don't you do a sign? Interesting. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. 
You see, they misunderstood. They weren't of the same mindset to understand. And if they had been in the scriptures, perhaps they would have understand. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem and at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word can change hearts, change lives. And I pray, Lord, as we're here, we surrender all to you, Lord. The course of our life, our future, our hopes, our dreams, we lay it at the cross, lay it at your feet, Lord, knowing that what you have for us is so much better than anything we could possibly imagine. So we pray, Lord, that you give us a passion and a zeal for you, just like the one you had, Lord, when you drove those money changers out. We thank you for this time. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. The first thing I notice when I look at this, maybe you can look back at 2013. How did you spend the past year, 2013? Was it a year of passion, a year of drive, a year that you spent wholly committed to the mission of God in, you, in which you woke up every day and you said, Lord, I am dedicated to you. I'm going to I'm going to start my day in your word. I'm going to start my day by praying and crying out to you, thanking you for what you've done. Where is your passion? Where are your hopes? Where are your dreams? What do you really care about? What's the thing that drives you every morning when you get out of your bed? You know, if you're really excited about something, it's going to get you out of bed no matter how tired you are. I remember... Uh, you know, waking up and, and having a really exciting day in front of me. So I would, like at first, I'm groggy. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. But then remembering what I'm about to do, go to the gunks or maybe it's eat a good breakfast that my mom's making, making some pancakes. I'm excited. I'm full of passion. I'm getting up and I'm doing something. But when you have those days where you just don't want to go to school, you don't want to go to work, you don't want to do these things, you find yourself not wanting to get up and, and go about your day. Why? Because you're lacking the passion to get out of the position in which you are in. And so what happened here is Jesus didn't just sit around and watch this injustice, but he took action because of the zeal inside of him, because of the passion that was inside of him. The interesting thing to note, though, Maybe some of you don't know this, scholars debate this, but most believe, and it's most likely, that there are actually two times in which Jesus drove people out of the temple. And you've heard it said about the, the money changers were robbing people and they were taking their money and, and all those things. This isn't that time. This is a very different time. It says nothing here about them taking their money and, and ripping them off. You see, Jesus wasn't worried and mad about uh, corruption, he was mad about distraction. You had something that was perfectly fine, perfectly legal in the temple of God, yet it took people's attention away from God himself. And the thing that I worry about for so many of us is that we can come to church, we can come to the temple, of, we can come to the meeting place of God and our attention is drawn away. You could be sitting right here and not be paying attention. It's very possible. Why is that? It's because there's a person named Satan that doesn't want you to focus on the things of God. 
The first thing that we have to realize when we come to this text tonight is to have a passion for God's house. And let me ask you that. Do you have a righteous zeal for God? Does anything bother you in the world when you see it? Is there any injustice you see in the church that bothers you? I was watching this past week a bunch of uh, pastors that probably, I don't know, I, I just, I've heard rumors about them, so I didn't really know. I wanted to hear for myself, and I listened to one church, and he is rumored to be a person that's very prosperity-driven and things like that, and I didn't know how bad it was until I watch a podcast of that church, and they have thousands of people that go, and he twists the word of God. He says things like, um, you know, people always talk to me about how much I talk about money. And, but then I ask them, what do you do for 40 hours, uh, 40 hours a week? A pat on the back? You want, you want someone to congratulate you and say you're doing a good job? No, you do it for money. You know, Jesus came to bring the gospel. What is the gospel? And I was like, good news. And he's like, what is good news to a poor person? Because you see, Jesus says, I have come to bring good news to the poor. Now, good news for a poor person isn't, hey, you should stay poor. Hey, you should keep being a beggar, but you should be rich. Yeah, I didn't know how bad people can twist scriptures until I listened to stuff like that. And it produces inside of me an anger, a righteous anger of like, what does this guy think he's doing? How is it possible to, like, I'm thinking from a preacher's standpoint, how can you look at the word of God, know exactly what you're doing, and willingly deceive so many people? Thousands and thousands of people that just listen to what he's saying. And that's what's so funny about the Bible it's like, it's so unbelievable, but it's true. Whereas you can get people to believe anything. You can have thousands of people believe the most silly things, but somehow you can't get them to believe the word of God. And you teach the word of God, but people still don't want to walk in righteousness because people follow after their own hearts, their own things. And that's what we see in this passage too, is later on the people uh, follow the signs that believe God, you know, believe Jesus for the things that he's doing, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. He knew their hearts. And God knows each and every one of your hearts tonight. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's really going on inside. The sin that you think no one sees. He sees it. Nothing is hidden from him. And everything that's in darkness will be brought to the light. The question is, do you want to voluntarily bring it up? Or do you want to hide it and wait to be caught? There's other crazy things that I've been watching because I bored last Saturday. I try to be productive with my boredness, so I'll go on YouTube and watch things that are often productive, but this wasn't productive. And another pastor was talking about homosexuality, and, well, we don't make public statements about homosexuality. We don't make public statements about these uh, issues because Jesus never made uh, public statements about morality or social issues. And I'm like, really? Because I'm pretty sure I'm teaching on him driving out people out of the temple, and that's pretty public. But people will no longer listen to sound doctrine. They'll follow whatever their ears want to hear in the last days. It's so silly. But maybe it's not preachers that are kind of wacky that you're worried about. Maybe I remember there's a, a home group thing that we were doing, you know, years ago. And it was in this prayer group and we we're all praying. But they're all praying for like these weird things, selfish things. Like praying that, you know, oh, Lord, you know, this and that. But like so ambiguous and so just like it sounded like you want to be heard for your many words kind of a thing and I'm like there's people in our church dying you know they weren't part of our church but there's people in our world that are dying and, and sick and suffering why are we praying for those things 
Why are we so self-centered? Why are we worried for the people that continually stray away from the Lord? What are we doing about those situations? So are we like the money changers? Are we making, are we sacrificing truth for convenience? And we're making our church hip and cool and seeker sensitive and, and drawing them with the worship and we need to do bigger events and cooler things. Or are we all about the truth? All about God's house? Do you have a passion for God's house? When people enter our church, do you have a zeal to see God glorified in his building? And when people are nudging you and talking to you during a Bible study, not just talking about here, because for the most part, you guys don't do that. But on a Sunday, are you goofing off? Are you on your iPhone? Are you, are you saying things that shouldn't be appropriate in the church building? Do you have the boldness to drive out distractions in God's building and say, you know what? I will put up with a lot of things, but I will not put up with that in God's house. But that's, here's something really important to know. Because in verse 15, it says that Jesus had made a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple. Jesus didn't just instantly obtain a whip. He made it. He thought about it. He sat there. Many of us are quick to judge another Christian based on their actions. And we'll look at that person. And look at that person and how they're dressed in church. Look at that person and how they're using their language. Look at that person and, and they, they screwed up with that sin or this sin. And we don't know the backstory. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't see them as wounded sheep. When people are making fun of you or people are hurting you or cursing you off, you say, how could they do that, that terrible person? They profess to be a Christian. Not looking at them like wounded sheep as Jesus sees them. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, as you guys know, says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's not wrong to be angry when it consists of God being robbed of justice. It's not. It's okay to be angry about sin, but you can't be angry about the person who's sinning. You have to look at them as God sees them. We have to look with, and use that zeal, that passion, to see that person freed from that sin. Because you see, if you're, you're angry about the person, you're angry about what the sin is doing to that person, it might give an opportunity to the devil when that person's doing that injustice towards you or doing that thing, it gives an opportunity for you to act wrongly in sin. See, devil's always looking for opportunities where you're heightened in your emotions. You're not able to think straight. So the house of God is very important to, to take note of when we're thinking about passion for the Lord. This building is significant. Even though... The church is you guys, and we, we all know that. There is something about meeting in this building for the sole purpose of meeting with our Heavenly Father. But here's a mystery. Because when the Jewish people knew that they were building the temple and they had this temple, God promised it would be the place in which God himself would dwell. He would live. But what kind of building could possibly obtain and contain the God of the universe. You see, in Isaiah chapter 66, 
I think it is 66. It says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you'll build for me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist. So you want to build me a house. I kind of made the entire universe. How in the world will you house me? But he says this, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You see, that the church of God, the temple of God is not just this building where we all meet, but you are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, if the, body says, if, if the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, do you have a passion and a zeal about that temple? Keeping that pure before the Lord. Keeping yourself in discipline. Every single day, you say, I have one drive, one motivation, one purpose, one calling, and I want to fulfill it. I don't know all the details about the future, but I know that the Lord is calling me to something greater than anything I could ever conceive of myself. And the only person who knows that is God himself. Do you have the discipline to wake up and say, I am tired. I'm going to worship God. I am tired. I'm going to pray. I am tired. I'm going to read my Bible. And I don't know what I'm preparing for, but I want to be prepared for whatever it is that the Lord has for me. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep it pure. Keep it holy. A place where God is proud to live in. Not filling it up with garbage and dirt and, and disgusting things, but remembering that God himself, the God of the universe says, the entire universe cannot contain me, but I want to live inside of you. That is a crazy, crazy mystery. How is that possible? And that's exactly what Jesus did. Sometimes when we come to church, we lose focus, we're daydreaming, we're listening to music, or we're paying attention about our worries or things like that. But if you wouldn't answer your iPhone at your family dinner table when your parents are saying, hey, don't be texting at the dinner table, why would you do it in the house of God? You see, A.W. Tozer said it well when he says, however brightly the light may shine, it can be seen only by those who are spiritually prepared to receive it. As the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, light will always shine. We learn that in chapter 1. You know, the light came into the world. Um, where is it? I want to read this verse, so I'm going to give up. I'm not going to give up. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 9 of chapter 1. You see... God is going to shine his light regardless, but are you willing to receive it? I can preach these sermons. I can teach you from the Bible. I can spend like however many hours it takes a week to study this. But if you're not preparing your heart to receive it, what good is that? Because only the pure in heart will see God. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 with me real quick. I want to read you something. Revelation chapter 2. We're just going to read five verses. It's easy to find. Last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Give you a second. 
if we're not preparing the temple of our hearts, how can God bless us with his presence? And you see, the church of Ephesus had this problem. They were doing pretty good, but they forgot one thing. Let's find out what it was. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. You know, God knows your works. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're doing, what you're not doing, what sins you're committing, what good works you're doing. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. He doesn't say you've lost. What's the difference? When you've lost something, you don't know where to find it. When you've left something, you know where to go. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You know, this church was doing great. They were doing all these things and like, oh yeah, we're, we're serious about sin, pers persevering in patience, we're laboring for the, the Lord. But they forgot one crucial point, which is they had left their first love. You know, when you're in love, the first thing that happens is you, you just do things not because you're obligated to, but just because you love it. And you can think of maybe, maybe some of you um, who haven't grown up in the church, you know, it wasn't like this for me, but I can think of times in my life where you're such on the spiritual high that you just, you read your Bible, not because anyone asks you to, not because you have to, but because you really just want to. You want to absorb as much of the Holy Spirit as possible. So you'll pray, not because you know, like, I probably should pray at this point in time, but you just, you're in so love, uh, you're so in love with the Lord and you're so excited to see what he will do because you know that like, if you ask him things, he's going to do them, that you pray because you're that passionate about the Lord. It's kind of like being in love. And that's why he says, you have left that first love. If there's a symptom, get back to it. If you're in that dry wilderness season, don't let that just sit around Ask yourself, what can I do to get back to that first love? And what does he say? Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Just trace your steps. Where, where did I come from? Where was I when I was first in love? You know, the prodigal son, when he ran away from his father's house, he remembered his father's house while he was eating in the pigsty. That was the first thing is that you need to remember how good the Father's house is. How good it is to be in his presence with his people. Because as you walk in this wilderness, it's going to be so hard to remember that because you're surrounded by a desert. But if you remember what it's like to be with God, that is the first step. Second step, repent. doesn't matter how you feel about it. Repent is not like this emotional word where you're just thinking like, well, when you feel like you should repent, you should repent. No, repent. Turn the opposite direction. Go the opposite way. Follow after the Lord. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the hurt that you're causing other people. And first and foremost, the Lord. And follow after him. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes. And do the first works. What are the first works? I don't know, you tell me. Is it reading your Bible? Is it praying? Is it serving? Is it texting your friends, Bible verses, looking at how you can be a blessing to someone else? Get back to that first works about being for other people. 
So we all need this passion for the Lord. And as we are distracted, just as these people were distracted by these money changers, there are things that can distract us. I'm going to give you two aspects. First aspect is that we can be distracted from the right mindset. We can be distracted from the right mindset. And this might actually, if you get this, your entire life will be changed, guaranteed. Your entire life will be changed if you get this one concept. So everyone pay attention and hone in on this. If you think about it, the whole outlook of mankind can be changed if you simply think about the fact that an infinite God wants a friendship with us. This is vastly different than an angel making friends with a caterpillar. And yet, the God of the universe wants a friendship with you. Not just, I'm the master and you're a servant, but I want to be your friend. Now look at how this will radically change our lives. Think of all the problems we would not have if we simply knew who God was. Do you realize that most, if not all, sin is committed just because you don't know who your God is? Taking vengeance on people. Why do you do that? Why do you take matters into your own hand? It's because you don't believe that God will take vengeance for himself. And say, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will give to every man according to his deeds. We act in front of God, ahead of God. You wouldn't have any anxiety. Why? Because you know everything is in God's hands. Now, let's just imagine for a moment you became omniscient right now. You knew everything. You knew everything about God. Everything about the future. Would you be anxious? No. Why? Because it's going to work out. All things work together for, good, that, for those that know, uh, love God and those that, called, those that are called according to his purpose. You won't have any heartache because you trust God that he gives and takes away. You believe that. But I think we're kind of cursed, in a sense, by being trapped in time right now. Trapped in our lack of knowledge. The Bible says in Hosea that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I read that today. And if we just simply knew what God was all about, who he was, we wouldn't have any guilt. Why? Because when you feel guilty, it's because you don't, you, okay, you feel bad when you wrong someone and you go to them and you're embarrassed and like, why? Well, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this to you. And you're telling them something they don't know. God knows every single sin that you have committed, you're currently committing, and you will commit. And he still says that he loves you and will forgive you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Because Christ died while we were still sinners. That's what he did. And if we just knew our God, we just knew his loving nature, his forgiveness, the Bible also says that he devises ways to bring us back to himself even when we have strayed away from him. If we just knew our God, the problem is that we aren't mindful of the spiritual realm. You see, that's what happened to these Jews when they were talking to Jesus. Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body when he was talking to them. And he said, what are you talking about? This temple has taken 46 years. But Jesus wasn't talking about a temple that is physical. He's talking about the temple of his own body. And living in the world can distract us from heaven. It's just the way it is. You're distracted from the right mindset just by the fact that you, you're trapped in time. 
you're trapped on this earth. Just like if you're looking out in the sky, it's hard to see the stars. Why? Because there's light pollution. You have all the lights on. And while we're here, it's going to be hard to see that light. A.W. Tozer also said, all within us cries for life and permanence, and everything around us reminds us of mortality and change. Appearances, you see, can deceive you from seeing reality, seeing what's really out there. There's a branch of philosophy called metaphysics. Metaphysics asks the question, what is real? Because philosophers, they debate about a lot of weird things, a lot of dumb things. But one thing they would say is, well, your appearances can deceive you. You know, if any of you are taking that, um, you go to public high school and you have that, uh, those drunk goggles to show you what drunk driving is like. There's a trick, by the way. You close one eye and you can see perfectly. That was a free tip right there. But people um, aren't able to see clearly because they're relying on one sense that might be deceiving them. And so metaphysics asked the question, what is reality? And so philosophers would say all these kinds of weird things like, can you really separate the idea of your mom from the sense data you receive from your mom? Like, Think about your mom right now without picturing her character, picturing, um, picturing what she looks like or her voice or any of those things that you can perceive through the senses. And you can. And so people would say weird things like, well, appearances just are reality. It's something called phenomenalism. You don't need to know that, but here's, here's the really interesting thing, and this is the reason why I'm bringing this up. Our thinking is limited by what we perceive. Our thinking is limited by what we perceive. Do you ever wonder why the Bible is so full of analogies and illustrations? Why is that? Why does it always say the kingdom of heaven is like? It's because the human mind is, is incapable of understanding something that is completely foreign to it. And yet God is so unlike anything in this world, he just has to use analogy after analogy after illustration after illustration to give us a, a small glimpse, a fraction of what God is like, but it can never tell us what God is exactly like. And that's why it's so weird that, you know, the, the people of Israel were making temples uh, and, and making sacrifices and all their gods looked like animals and all these things. If you look at Greek mythology, what are all their mythological creatures looking like? They're half man, half horse. They're only things of which we can perceive, we can think of, because you can't think of something that's completely foreign to the human mind. You can only think of what we're able to see already. And that's why people doubt miracles. That's why people don't have faith to believe that God can do things. Why? Because they have not yet perceived what the Lord is able to do. So here's where it all comes together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to them, to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Discerned. Natural man cannot understand the things of God, but the more that you know God, the wider your perception becomes. The more that you can know God, and by knowing God, all those problems seem smaller and smaller. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards, the, 
towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he, was ra- when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. You see, the wider your perception, the deeper your conviction. The wider you are able to perceive, the deeper you are convicted And you're not going to stumble into that sin that so easily entraps us. Why? Because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for a glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. You see, if they only knew the wisdom of God, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory, the Bible says. Isn't that weird? If they only knew, what is it that you don't know about God? What is it that you're not sure of? What would keep you from that sin? What would give you that assurance? You see, it's, it's all readily available to you in the Bible. How many of us would avoid sin if we only knew the plans of God? If we only had foreknowledge that drinking would bring pain, would you take that first drink? If you only knew what the future held, would you smoke that first cigarette or smoke pot or whatever? If you could see the entirety of what was going to happen in your life, would you do that? Probably not. What you needed to do is align your perspective with the heavenly perspective, by changing your mindset to God's mindset, by setting your eyes towards heaven. How many of us wouldn't have any fear? And there's so many different fears, whether it's fear of lack, you're afraid to fit in and you're not fitting in or you don't have any friends or basic essentials or fear of abandonment, maybe by friends or parents or fear of ridicule. There's all these different kinds of fears. But what fear is, it's, it's, we haven't grasped the full reality of God's love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Why are you so afraid? It's because you don't know God. Now, there's a good fear, and there's a bad fear. Bad fear, fear of man. That's bad. Why? Because you're afraid of what you don't know about that person. I'm afraid of what this person can do to me that I'm not sure of. That's why you're afraid. You're afraid of the dark. Why? You don't know what's going to happen in the dark. You're afraid of all these different things. It's because you have a lack of knowledge. But there is a good fear. It's fear of the Lord. It's saying, I don't really know everything about God, but I fear that. I fear what I don't know about God. That's okay. You realize there's only, uh, people are only born with two natural fears. You're uh, born with the, the fear of falling and loud noises. Everything else is learned which means that you can also unlearn them. It doesn't matter what fear you have. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that not even our fears for today or worries about tomorrow can separate us from his love. So the second aspect is that um, we aren't mindful of the scriptures. Not only are we uh, not having the right, right mindset 
by uh, not being mindful of the spiritual realm, but we're not mindful of the scriptures. In verse 22, if they'd only been paying attention, right? It says, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remember that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. If they had just been in their Bibles, they would have known what he was talking about. So anything you could possibly need to know about God has already been revealed to you in this book, your Bible. Any question you want answered, anything you want to know about God, it is readily available to you. That's why it's so important to memorize scripture. That's why it's so important to just stay daily in the word. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. By having that conviction inside of your heart, this is me speaking, not the Bible speaking anymore. By having that conviction inside of your heart, your perception becomes wider. You're able to see clearer. And you're able to understand the plans that God has for you because you're in this word. And so when you're about to stumble into that sin, you say, no, I can't do this. Why? Because that conviction is just so loud. There's no way I would stumble on that one thing. That's why the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Paul writes this to Timothy saying, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. We're also distracted from the right belief. Don't worry, we're almost done. We're distracted from the right belief. Not only distracted from the right mindset, but we're distracted from the right belief. And that's what you see in verse 23. Unfortunately, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Miracles can attract a lot of people. You know, of course people are going to follow Jesus if he's feeding 5,000 people. Like, wouldn't you want to go and follow Jesus? Like, yeah, of course. He gives us free food. It's pretty awesome. And let's see him do some magic tricks. But where were those 5,000 when Jesus was being crucified? That's why Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew their hearts. He knew they were just chasing after the signs, chasing after the wonders. What are you chasing after? Why are you here? Why are you sitting in church right now? If you're new here tonight, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm trying to speak to those that have been here for a long time. But maybe even if you're new, the question still applies. Why are you here? Because you're looking for someone to impress or dazzle or you're looking for some kind of emotional experience? Are you here to meet the living God regardless of how you feel about it? Because you know you're in the right place. When your emotions fail and you're in that wilderness season, you know intellectually, but God's going to meet me there. And if I sow and I'm rooted in his word and in his church, I'm planted, I'm surrounding myself with other believers, I know and I believe that God's going to meet me. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He who comes to God must believe that, he's, uh, that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The, pe- the people here believe that there's power in God's name but didn't commit themselves to him. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, true faith isn't solely just believing a set of facts. It's not believing, okay, there's, there's a God out there, I believe. Yeah, the Bible says 
James chapter 2. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Where's your trembling? True faith is not predicated on conditions. True faith is not, I will believe if I see a sign. That's what the Jewish people want to do. What sign do you do? Show us something to prove that this is really you. That we can believe you. But true faith is not predicated on conditions. It's not, I will believe things if things go my way. Lord, if you flicker the light switch on and off, then I'll believe you. No. But true faith is knowing Jesus. Believing in a person. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You see, the key is people prophesy in his name, they cast out demons in his name, but he says, I don't know who you are. You need to know the person of God. Place your trust in Jesus. Not the works, not the signs. Some of us are praying. Some of you are here right now and you've been praying for a long time. And your prayers aren't answered and you're discouraged. Why? Because you're putting trust in an answered prayer and not in the person of prayer. We need to get back to those first works. We need to get back to our love for God, a relationship with God. In the New Testament, what we see is that faith precedes miracles. Before Jesus heals anybody, really. I can't think of an example. Before he heals the person who's crippled, man with a withered hand, what happens? He's looking for faith before the works. The woman with the flow of blood. She said, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. Faith is the precondition to seeing a miracle, to seeing a work of God. And that's true here for our youth group too. If you've been praying for a long time, you've been wanting to see God work, faith comes before the works. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So we've been saying so many times. It's not like Eve in the Garden of Eden who was walking with God but then saw the fruit and it looked good and she chased after what looked good. It's not like Lot's wife who was leaving Sodom but then turned around because she wanted to go back. It's believing in faith that there's something to come that is greater than you can possibly imagine. Regardless if you feel it or not. Regardless if you come to church and you feel different at, at all. It's having faith, and that is what will change our world. A radical faith to just take God at his word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. I just want to read you this. I read in my devotions today, but this is the perfect way to close out today's message. God knows your heart. God knows what you're going through. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. This is actually was the theme of our past summer retreat. So maybe this is the way to get back. Before we go on the next, next week's winter retreat, before we go and have another mountaintop experience, let's get back to that last one. What did we miss? What did we forget? Well, after he talks about all these things about faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going by faith. It says in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims 
on the earth. Just take that verse for a second. These people died in faith, not receiving the promises. Some of you wish that you were Abraham. You wish that you were Moses. You wish you were like David and you saw these things and these wonders and God spoke to you like Samuel. These people died in faith, not receiving the things that were promised to them, but having seen them afar off, were convinced, assured of them, embraced them, and confessed, hey, this place isn't my home. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. Maybe what you need to do tonight is see it afar off. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. By listening to the Holy Spirit, by cleansing out that temple, getting the junk out, having that zeal, that passion for the Holy Spirit, make room. You know, so many times people around Christmas are like, is there any room in your heart for Jesus? It really should be, is there any room for anything else but Jesus? The God of the universe cannot be contained by the universe, but wants to live inside of you. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So check this out. He's saying if they thought about where they left, if it came to their mind, which means it wasn't, they weren't thinking about this earth. They were thinking about that nation, that country afar off. If they had thought about it, that country they had left, that place of sin, they would have had opportunity to return. Many of you will have opportunities in this life. When you leave this youth group, when you leave this church, when you go to college, you'll have opportunities to return to your country from which you came. You have an opportunity to return to sin. The difference is, are you confessing that you are a stranger, a pilgrim, and you do not belong to this world? Seeing the promise afar off in faith. Verse 16, but now... They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Listen very carefully. Everyone look up here. God has prepared for you a city. I don't know what it's going to look like. God's preparing for you a mansion. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be Gucci there. I don't know if there's going to be... One direction there. I don't know what's going to look like. I don't know if the streets are going to literally be paved with gold. I have no idea, but I know it's going to be just fine. Whatever he has for me. Apple juice. So. Have passion for God's house. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. For you died. This isn't your life. Paul said, I've crucified myself. It's not I that live anymore. But the life I live now is live to God. And maybe, maybe you're not in that place. You're like, I don't want to do that. It's because you haven't seen yet. Your perception is so limited. You can't understand until you receive the Holy Spirit. You really can't. But if you do get the Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit is? The Bible says that he is the seal of promise. He is the wedding ring, the the engagement ring, the promise and assurance that there are better things to come. 
So maybe you've never experienced the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. That assurance of your salvation, and it is readily available to you tonight. That assurance that no matter where you go, how far you go, God is with you. Where can you go from his spirit? Where can you go from his presence? Have passion for God's house. Let's get back to that zeal for the Lord, for his church, for his people, for your own body. So wake up every single day and ask, God, it's 2014. The time is short, but you make everything beautiful in its time. And hopefully this is my year. Because I don't want to live another year that's in rebellion towards you. I want to live my life wholly committed towards you and start it off right. And have the right mindset, meditating on your word, being assured of the spiritual realm, and at the same time, having the right belief in the right person. Not a belief uh, of a state of facts, but a belief in a person named Jesus Christ. He is so faithful. I just wish I could say something that you guys would realize that. You know, and sometimes I fall short. But that's the funny thing about faith. Regardless of the circumstances, you're just crazy enough to believe it anyway. Let's pray. Father, I just want to acknowledge your power tonight, that you are Lord. And I, I know, Lord, you are calling us to greater things. Lord, there are people that have left this fellowship even right now from 2013 till the end of the year. There are people that are no longer walking with you that were a part of this youth group. I pray, Lord, that we would have that zeal and that passion to exhort one another daily, stir one another up to love and good deeds. Those that have left us, left our school, left our church, wherever they go, may we be the love of Christ towards those people. God, I'm convinced that you have something planned for each and every one of these students, no matter how worthless they feel. Lord, because you are a perfect artist, no part is without purpose. You're able to bring meaning to the very dust of our lives. I thank you for this night, Lord. I thank you for your power. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to, every single person here would be able to have a wider perception by allowing your Holy Spirit to enter their hearts, perceive the spiritual things. I'm not talking about weird things. I'm talking about reality as it really is. Not closing our mind to just the physical things, but placing our vision looking at the things which aren't yet seen. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Everyone said, amen.